I know you, uh, with me, just love seeing in Scripture all these amazing stories about how God has moved. There's stories, like I think of the story in, moved in response to God's people in prayer. Uh, I love the story of Moses when he's at the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is behind him, and the sea is in front of him, and God's people are there. He lifts his staff, and God answers the prayers of God's people, and the, the seas are parted, and God moves. You're here today, and you had something going on in your life, and you prayed that God would part the waters. Maybe that was in some financial situation that was going on in your life that you were really struggling with, and you prayed, God, would you just part the waters? Would you do a miraculous thing? But that didn't happen, and you struggle with that. Think of that time that Daniel was in the lion's den, and he's... he's uh, there as a result of people seeing his honest, fervent prayer. And he had prayed and he'd prayed and he'd prayed and 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 the he gets put into that lion's den a judgment and thought he was gonna die, and then we read in scripture how God did the miraculous. And God stopped the mouths of the lions and God rescued him out of the, the mouths of those lions, the lion's den. You you had something going on in your life, and there were lions that had surrounded you, and maybe it was in a relationship uh, at work, or maybe it was some relatives that uh, you've been struggling with, the lions have surrounded you, or maybe it's some friend group that, that, that were kind of all around you, and you were struggling uh, in that moment with them, and you prayed, and you prayed, and as you look back, you can just have that sense that the lions devoured you. In that moment, think of that story where Peter and John were walking to the temple and they get to the gate, and there was a man begging, and he asked them for help. And they make this awesome statement you know, we don't have silver or gold, but what we have we'll give to you. And so, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And Jesus He answered that prayer, and that man walked, and he jumped, and he praised, and he celebrated. And the the temple mount was just just alive in response to the answer of that prayer. And you, in similar faith, you had somebody maybe in your life that you'd been praying for and there'd been some physical struggle and you'd prayed that God would move and you'd prayed that God would heal. But there wasn't jumping or running or praising. There was just brokenness and struggle because that prayer went unanswered. Prayer is confusing. Prayer is difficult at times. Um, I think of what Jesus said in John 14, 14. He said this. He said, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And we can all point to times in our lives when it doesn't feel like that's what happened. Because God didn't answer and God, it feels like he didn't move and, and, it's, and again, it's, it's a struggle, and we don't understand, and it's confusing. And we've all dealt with times and seasons of unanswered prayer. We're in the series where we're talking about confessions or conversations with God. Talking about talking to God. And we want to talk about, because it's real, and it's where we rest, and it's where we hang out all too often. It is in the valley, that dark night of the soul, when the prayers, the answers to them, they don't come. 
the interesting thing is that we're really in good company when it comes to Scripture. Because some really awesome, iconic people in Scripture that went through, like we do, seasons of unanswered prayer. You have great people of faith like Job and Abraham and uh, uh, Joseph and King David and Jeremiah. And you have in the New Testament, John the Baptist. And you've got the Apostle Paul, who was this faithful follower of Jesus that did everything that he was asked to do. And he prayed three different times that this thorn in the flesh would be taken away. We don't know exactly what it is, but all we know is that prayer went unanswered. And so... We've got all these examples, and then the ultimate example, I think, is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, who prayed in the garden. He prayed, God, if there is any other way, would you take this cup from me? Is there some, some other way that this could be done? And we have no record that God answered that prayer. The only record that we have is silence. So Jesus, I think we could... We can see ourselves in Jesus because we, like Jesus, have been in that dark night of the soul. And so what does Jesus have to teach us? As he is in that garden, he is in that space of unanswered prayer. What can he teach us as we work to navigate our own times of, again, those dark nights of the soul of unanswered prayer? Take your Bible, if you would, and turn me to Luke chapter 22, where we'll hang out a little bit. We'll get some help from Jesus as he shows us what it looks like to navigate the dark night of the soul of unanswered prayer. And so let's go to the garden. And so as you're turning there, Jesus is in the garden. Some of his disciples have followed him. They get to the garden. Uh, it would be the place where in just a few hours the, that Judas would come leading this entourage of soldiers and they would take Jesus away and he would soon be crucified. So it is in those moments right before he's taken to be crucified that we find Jesus in the garden. And so let's, let's hang out with Jesus in the garden. In verse 39, and he, Jesus, came and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Jesus knows that he's about to engage in what was the most difficult season of his life on this earth, as he's walking this earth with us. And he's about to go to the cross. He's about to go that, to, that, to that place where he would become the sacrifice for sin. That he would, he would have heaped upon himself our sin. He would become our sacrifice. It's what he was about to experience, this separation. Because of the sin that he would, that he would take upon himself, he would, in that moment as he takes sin, he would be separated from God the Father from eternity past. He's been, before the foundation of this earth were laid, he was, he's been with the Father the son has in this perfect, beautiful relationship. And now as he takes upon himself our sin, it is in the agony of that moment, it would cause him to cry out on the cross, nailed to that cross with our sin, separated from the Father. He would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Critical moment, we see the example of Jesus. Knowing that that's what he's going to face, it says, as was his custom, there in verse 39. So this is something that he would do. He would come and he would pray, and when he was going through a difficult time and when there was struggle, as he walked this earth, that he would come to these periods where he would spend time with the Father. 
He would connect with the Heavenly Father. And look at what the last verse, or last part of that verse, verse 39, it says, and the disciples followed him. It's a great example for us. During our own times of strain and struggle that we follow Jesus and we go to the place of prayer. It's a great thing to learn. Verse 40, it says, and when he came to the place, the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew with, from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, and he prayed. So he leads the disciples to this place of prayer, where he spends time in prayer. It was an olive grove. You know the topography of, the, of, of, of Jerusalem. You know that the, the Temple Mount uh, it, it is on the one side of the Temple Mount. On that east side, there's, a, there's the Kidron Valley. You go down the Kidron Valley, up the other side of the Kidron Valley. You're now outside of the, of the, of the city proper. And there uh, is a, there's an olive grove, the Garden of Gethsemane. And so just outside this hustling, bustling city is this place. Away from the noise and the commotion, this place where you could go and you could pray and you could be quiet and and that's where Jesus says would often go, as was his custom. And notice that, that he doesn't gather the disciples, and they don't all hold hands and sing kumbaya and then have this prayer service together. It says that he goes about a stone's throw away from where they were at, and he goes, and he's alone, and he prays. And sometimes the struggle is so deep that we have to just get alone, and we need to pray. And that's what Jesus does. That dark night of the soul... Jesus knows that all of us, he knew his disciples were, were about to face it. And so he says to them, uh, as they're about to experience that dark night, so you need to, you need to pray so that you, don't, that you can endure, this, endure the struggle. Or you can endure the temptation that's coming. Satan often, in that dark night of the soul, Satan pounces on us. And he knows what is going to destroy our faith, these dark nights of the soul. And so he says, be ready. Pray so you don't enter into temptation. Verse 42, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's really hard for us to understand the enormity, or normant, yeah, that word, uh, the grandeur, the greatness, the bigness, the enormity of, of what Jesus was facing in the garden. He knew what was about to happen. And so in his humanness, he's fully God and fully human. And so in his humanness, he prays. He prays, God, is there some other way? And if there's some other way, would you remove this cup? And he's talking about the, the cup of suffering. Is there some other way to accomplish the forgiveness that I know that, that, that humanity needs? I know I, I, Jesus was there in the garden. He saw those moments in their sin. And he saw the separation and the brokenness that created. And if there is some other way, God, to, to bring humanity back into relationship there's some other way. I know it needs to be done if there's some other way. But there was no other way. The path that Jesus is on is the path that we all need. It's the path that brings us into relationship with God. It's Jesus giving his life to pay the penalty for our sin that we had incurred. It's something that none of us can do on our own. We can never be good enough. We can never be sinless and holy enough. to. And so we needed what Jesus did. We needed what he did on the cross. We needed what he did as he conquered death through the tomb, we needed that. And as Jesus prays, he prays that prayer, but he also prays it in submission to God's will. God, not my will be done, but your will be done. 
He's praying in submission to this larger purpose that God has in submission to that. Verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It's kind of interesting to think about this, these angels coming and attending to Jesus. It wasn't the first time that in a time of struggle that God sent angelic, supernatural helpers. We see when he was in the wilderness, when he was tempted, it says that in that story that God sent angels to attend to him at that point as well. It's a great reminder that God has any number of sources where we're in that dark night of the soul, we're in that struggle that God has resources that he can help us to get through it. George Morrison wrote, every life has its Gethsemane and every Gethsemane has its angel. And so here is God answering the prayer. Not with a yes and not we'll do it another way, but he answers in silence. And when we have the silent answer or when we have the no answer or when we have the not yet answer, in all of those answers that we struggle, again, with unanswered prayer, we can understand as we look at what God does in that moment that he sends help, that he's never going to leave us alone. Even when we are like Jesus in the time of mental or emotional anguish, and it says that he was in agony, that verse 44 says. In agony, he prays, and it says that he prays more earnestly, desperately, fervently. Prayer is so intense that Scripture describes it that it's like great drops of blood were, were, were coming out of him. There's, a, there's a, actually a physical thing, that, a medical condition that doctors tell us that when someone is so intense with what's going on that they, there's this condition that that can literally happen. And so whether it literally happened and he, and he was sweating great drops of blood or if it was just a, a picture, a figure of speech and, and he was so intense and in such agony that he's, he's sweating and he's, it's just, he's so broken by what's about to happen. We don't know, but what we can know is that description tells us that it was horrific. There's two final verses. Verse 45, it says, And when he rose from prayer... He came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are, you, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It says that he rose. Earlier, we knew that it says that he went away and that he knelt. And now it says that he gets up. And so this time he's been spending, it would have been a normal practice to pray standing up in that culture. But, but there are times, those intense times, and we know this, I hope you know that there's times when you just got to get on your knees before the Lord. We just got to, I don't know if you've ever even laid down and got on your face before the Lord. And that's what Jesus said was the intensity of the moment. And it says he, he, he gets up. And he goes to where the disciples were, and he, he, he kind of calls them out for, for sleeping. And it says that they were, they were, they were sorrow, and, I, and it kind of alludes, you know, do they know what's going on? I don't think they totally know what was going on. But there's some sense that what's happening is, is huge, and it's big, and, and something's coming. And, and they were sorrowful, it said. And, he, and again, he warns them like he'd warned them before. You need to be careful. You need to pray so you don't fall into the temptation. Again, a great reminder for us. There's some things that... That Jesus, I think, has to teach us when we face unanswered prayer. 
Let me, just in the time we have left, just draw some things from this text, from this story that I think will be helpful for us as we all face our, our times of unanswered prayer. And the first thing, I would just encourage us to continue as we see the example of Jesus to embrace prayer as a lifestyle. We see that in Jesus. It says that as was his custom, he goes to the garden in this powerful moment that he has in the garden. It was his custom to do that. I, you, just, you, you knew, as you, as you look at the story, we know that, that Judas had left earlier. And, and he's not there when they, they leave the, the Last Supper and they go to the, to the garden. But they didn't keep Judas from knowing where they would be. Why did Judas know where they would be that night? Because it was his custom. And so Judas gets this whole group of, of, of soldiers and people from the temple. And they come and they're going to arrest him. And he's going to get his 30 pieces of silver. And he knows exactly where Jesus is going to be. Because it was his custom to pray. I'm reminded of the little excerpt from Greg's book last week that I read. I just want to remind you of it again. How to pray. Uh, we talked to Lorraine at the bookstore, Christian bookstore up the road, and they've got a number of copies of that book, great book, How to Pray, great simple read, I encourage you to, to pick that up. It's, it's a great help for, 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 for us as we learn how more effectively to pray. And it described Jesus and as was his custom to pray. Like when he was fasting in the wilderness, he was praying. When he, was, he prayed before he chose the, the 12 disciples, he was praying when he was facing his own grief, when he, was, when he lost his friend and cousin, John the Baptist, that talks about him praying. After his exhaustion with the events, and just imagine 5,000 people uh, when he fed them, and uh, thousands, and in the moment we just want to crash, what did Jesus do? He climbs a mountain so he can get away, so he can pray again. Jesus modeled for us a lifestyle of prayer. And so in the face, in those dark nights of the soul when we're struggling and we're, we're talking to God, but, but there's still the struggle, I want to encourage you to lean in and keep praying. Make it a lifestyle. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that his sheep, my sheep know my voice. And the only way you get to know Jesus' voice is if you talk to Jesus. And it's okay to talk to Jesus about the unanswered prayer and the struggle that you're in, that dark night of the soul. But don't go silent on Jesus. Live that lifestyle of prayer. The second thing that I think as we look at this story that we need to do in the face of unanswered prayer is to place unwavering trust in God's sustaining power as we embrace the supernatural. Look at that model of prayer and just leaves us there. And, and, and again, I love that that's included that idea that the angels came and attended to him. The supernatural, there's a supernatural answer that helps him get through it. These angels show up and they attend to Jesus. Again, not the first time, as I mentioned, not the first time this happened. It happened in the garden or in the wilderness, the same type thing. And again, the reminder that God has some angel, God has some supernatural thing. God will sustain you if you'll keep leaning in and you'll keep praying and don't give up. He can sustain you. There are things as we think about our lives, I've shared different things at different times, stories from my own life. I'm not going to reiterate stories that I've shared with you a number of times. But just, I would just say that any number of times that God has sustained me 
at just the right moment in the face of unanswered prayer and I don't understand, and, and, but to keep going. Those dark nights of the soul. I told the first service, um, Scripture, I'm a, I'm a shepherd, which means you're sheep. <laughs> and I found over my 30 plus years of full-time ministry that sheep bite. <laughs> Present company accepted, or you know, you guys are the exception, of course. Uh, but when we were in Ohio, I remember in particular a time when the sheep were especially rambunctious. And I was struggling, and I really felt alone. And I remember sitting on the couch in our home, and everybody was gone, and I was desperate. And like Jesus, I was in agony. And I prayed and I opened up my Bible. And it's like God was there in the room and his words, it's like the word of Scripture was like exactly in that moment what I needed to hear. And I could point to other times where, where, where God used, whether it's a time of prayer or God's word, he used it and it was just so real in my life. Or I can think even this morning as I was preparing uh, this morning, all alone, up in my office, I got a text from a friend, a colleague, a pastor friend I've not talked to in years, and he just texted me and just wanted to remind me that he was praying for me today. Not a group text. He, he is praying for me today. And God uses those angels. God uses people. He uses us to encourage each other when we're struggling. And so we see that than in the face of our unanswered prayer that God can sustain us. But I was just encouraged to embrace the supernatural. How, how could God? Could he? Yes, he can. And that's what he wants to do in your life. Another thing that I would say is that we need to submit ultimately to God's will as you pray for your own. And that's important. As we look at Jesus, he's, he's, he, he's talking to the Father, and he says, God, is there any other way? And he, he has that conversation, but at the same time, he says, but not my will, but your will be done. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I have a lot of ideas about how this world should run. My life, politics, the world in general, what's going on in the Middle East, you can just ask me. I've got the solution for everything. If you don't believe me, you can ask Crystal. I, have, you know, I got a lot of ideas. Okay? And I'm sure you have a lot of ideas. But with my ideas, can I then also say, as I talk to God about my ideas, can I also come to that point where I say, God, but I know that you have an amazing track record. It's better than mine, and your ideas are better than mine, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to choose to trust you. And I can look back on my own life, and I'm sure you can as well, and there's those times when you thought, well, God, if you just did this and that, and, and you got it all figured out, and it doesn't happen like that, and the prayers are unanswered, but then later on you see what God does, and you look back and you're like, you know what, that was better after all. We've all been there. The timing was different. The way God worked it out. I, again, I told the first service, I, I'm so delighted that God didn't answer Prayers that I prayed for any number of people before I met Crystal that I thought would be perfect for me. <laughs> but God had, someone, had something different. And so, can we pray according to God's will? God, not, 
my will, but your will be done. I, 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 but as you pray that, what, what was the point? What are the little sub point that I put on there? But as you pray for your own. And so, yeah, you get, I'm sure you have some great ideas. Like I have some great ideas. And, and so it's okay. God is okay with you telling him as you talk to him. Here, God, is how I think it ought to work out. Here's what, God, I think you ought to do. And to pray that in faith, as long as you add that little caveat, but not my will, but God, your will be done. God's really okay with you armchair quarterbacking him. He's big enough for that. As long as you will submit to him, your will be done. Uh, there's another thing that I think is helpful to us. We just take an honest look at the potential reasons for maybe why God might not be answering our prayer. There's, uh, Greg wrote this other uh, book, God on Mute, Engaging the Silence of Unanswered Prayer. It's another great book. He gave like 15 or 16 reasons why uh, God might not answer your prayer. We're not going to go through all those. Let me just give you a few that I think will be helpful if you just think through reasons why, maybe some good reasons why your prayers aren't being answered. The first one is uh, relational issues. Scripture tells us if you've got some issue, some, something uh, going on, and you're at the altar, you realize you've got an issue with a person, that you should leave what you've got at the altar and go to that person and to make that thing right, whatever that thing is. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayer may not be hindered. You see, sometimes relational issues get in the way. Our prayers are hindered because there's strife at home. Maybe we need to get our house in order. Another thing, uh, reason for unanswered prayer might be personal sin. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin that's in our lives destroys our relationship with God. Ephesians, or Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And here it is, cookies on the bottom shelf. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Maybe the reason that your prayers are going unanswered is because there's some unconfessed sin in your life. Today's a great day to get that taken care of, to confess that before the Lord. Another thing would be wrong motives. Sometimes, honestly, we just pray some dumb prayers. Right? Have you ever prayed a really dumb prayer? We've all prayed really dumb prayers with wrong motives, praying for things that are not God's will, and we're praying for dumb stuff, knowing that God has, God has a different agenda. James 4, 3, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Selfish, self-serving prayers, not high on God's list of agenda items to accomplish for you. And then... You look back, and one of the reasons I think that God doesn't answer our prayers is because he has something better for us. Are we just, can we just be grateful that God's, God's ideas, he's got some better ideas than that, and than we do? Just, I'm so thankful for the beautiful, wonderful wife that God blessed me with, and that he didn't answer my prayers. He had a better something, someone in store for me. Can we trust him in that? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. We trust, or I love this quote, we shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that the, God's great refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayers. 
A lack of faith is another reason sometimes I think that God doesn't answer a prayer. We see that in Scripture. Uh, when I'm, a lot of times when I'm praying for somebody, they ask me to pray for healing, whatever it is. I'll look them right in the eye. I'll say, do you really believe that God can heal you? Do you have faith to believe? Faith matters. James 1, 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And then there's a final reason that sometimes I think that God doesn't answer our prayers and our prayers go unanswered, and I'll just categorize it as none of the above that there's a reason beyond all of our pay grades that we are not God and he's not, we're not necessarily on, in the C-suite of heaven and he doesn't tell us everything that's going on. He doesn't let us know everything. And so there is a none of the above. God's ways are higher than our ways. And can we, in the midst of unanswered prayer, continue to believe and continue to trust? Because, last thing, yes, no, not yet, and silence are all legitimate answers to our prayers. Jesus modeled in, that, in, that, in, in the garden, God did not answer his prayer. There was silence. And we have examples of our lives, I'm sure, where God did answer yes. And there's at times when God answered no. And it is okay for God, the God of the universe, to say to us, no, we're his children. And so what parent is going to say yes every single time to their child? How do you define a child that gets everything they want all the time and that we never say no? Oh, my word, those are children you do not want to be around. Can you imagine heaven filled with people that got all their little requests their entire life? Wow. And so, no is okay. Not yet is okay. When, uh, when, when Chris and I prayed, uh, when we heard, learned of our son Jacob's cancer, we prayed and we prayed. And he wasn't healed initially. So not yet. It's okay. And silence. God giving us, he's not giving us a silent treatment like we sometimes do with people when he's silent. He's silent because he's wanting us to lean in and he's wanting us to continue to push and he's wanting us to continue to walk by faith and he's wanting us to continue to believe because he's doing something in us and he's got better for us. And it's not about, it's not about God, I want you to do my will and prayer about God understanding what my will is. It's prayers about a relationship and there's something that God might be wanting to do in our relationship. So it doesn't mean we give up. It doesn't mean we stop crying out. It doesn't mean any of that. We keep going and we keep praying and we keep seeking. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. As we conclude today, we want to have a little, a little time of worship. We've got at the corners of these, this room, if you're here in the room, uh, we've got a place over here where you can take communion if you just want to spend some time with your Savior and just celebrating through communion the sacrifice that Jesus made. Over at this, in this corner, we've got a got a space where you can, if you just need to be alone and talk to the Father, be with your Savior just alone, you can go there. And then we've got some, some people, they've got lanyards on. They'll be in these two corners over here, and they'd love to pray with you. Don't miss the miracle that God wants to do in your life. I know that some of you are struggling. I know that some of you are struggling with unanswered prayer. And to think that God loves you so much that he wanted to bring you here today to encourage you. In the midst of that, the midst, and he knows what you're going through. Jesus, the Savior, knows what you're going through. 
He's brought you here. And so in these concluding moments, I would encourage you to move and you can pray or take communion. You can have someone pray with you. Sometimes, but we do need someone to just lay hands on us and to pray for us. And there's something so rich and beautiful about someone praying, laying hands on us and praying for us. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we just want to be open to what you want to do in these concluding moments of this time as we worship you. God, as we move, as we pray, as we spend time with you, I pray, God, that your spirit would rest in this place. God, I pray that you would just open the gates of heaven, that you, Father, would just pour your spirit down. God, that you would move in this place, Father. I pray for the miraculous to happen in this place. God, that you would move in us. God, that person that's been waiting and praying and seeking, that, God, you brought them here because if they'll just have just a little bit more faith, faith like a mustard seed, just the smallest of faith, that lets you extend it one more time, that, God, you are ready to move. I pray, God, that you would help us to believe that you can and you will. God, I just pray for that person, maybe the first time they recognize the need to confess sin, to come before you, to to embrace you as their Savior. And God, I pray for them. That is the prayer that you will never not hear and never not answer. You will always answer that prayer of forgiveness and confession and repentance. Thank you, God, for, for, for answering that prayer. God, we love you. And now rest here with us in Jesus' name.